0: This is episode Delta of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, April 12th, 2011. Karen and I are here at the Linux Collaboration Summit, which is why you hear some noise in the background of conference attendees having exuberant discussions. I wanted to say we're here live, but we're not live at all. Yeah, so we're just recording this to let you know what we have is actually Karen's talk uh, at the Linux Collaboration Summit. We'll have the slides up, and if you go to the website, if you want to pause now, go to the website, you can follow along with their slides from the, by downloading the ODS file, or what, what they call them, OpenOffice call them? ODS. ODS, oh, I did the right. Okay, so people can follow along and listen to your talk. Tell and them, go ahead. <laughs> tell them what? You tell them all about NDAs and agreements, and what they should do, and what they should uh, check out before they sign any agreements. Hope you enjoy it. Hope it's informative. Up all the time, and um, and actually haven't heard any kind of public discussion about it. So I just wanted to bring this topic up today and point out some of the things that you should look for if somebody comes to you and asks you to to sign one of these agreements. So Jeremy actually told me that I had to try to put some jokes in here. Uh, So I'm doing the best I can, but I'm a lawyer, so I'm by nature sometimes pretty boring. (laughs) Um, So, um, you know, we, we have to talk about this stuff because if we don't, we're going to find ourselves signing agreements that, um, that don't work in our interest. And we're only going to discover it way down the road when something's gone wrong. And it's going to have, it, it could have profound implications. So, um, I, I, I want to talk about this, um, also because you only get one chance at this stuff. Once you've signed the agreement, it's signed. It's the agreement between the parties. And chances are there's not that much you can do about it. A lot of agreements have amendment provisions but unless there's some reason to get somebody to change their mind down the road, they're probably not going to. So these are the kinds of things that you have to think before you sign it. Also under these, um, when you handle these agreements, there's often a, um, a, a shift of power that comes with, with these agreements. Um, you're in a different situation after you've signed the agreement than before you signed the agreement, and you might not consider yourself to be um, you know, there to be that transition. You're talking to somebody, you're negotiating with them, you expect to enter into a relationship with them, and signing signing on the dotted line is just one more step in the process of of, of entering in this relationship. But once you do that, the, there's been a, a shift of power. you're no longer in the same situation negotiating with somebody once you've actually signed the agreement than you were before. So you, you may find that um, the party that you're talking to and negotiating with treats you a little bit differently afterwards. Um, and it may not happen right away, and it may not happen ever, but it sometimes happens, and it, it can be profound. Um, always know what you're signing. Um, just just think about it. Um, take a look. I think a lot of people sign these agreements just because they're given in a big stack of things that you need to sign. Um, if you're starting to take a job with a new employer, it may be tucked into other agreements that are much less controversial, signing up for the health insurance plan. Or um, if you're a contractor understanding company policies and signing off on, um, you know, different kinds of codes of conduct and things like that, that of course you would agree to. Um, but just because it's another one of the pieces of paper tucked into a stack doesn't mean that it, it shouldn't be given special attention. So always pay attention to what it is that you're signing. I can't tell you how, actually can't tell you how many times that it's come up where we wind up visiting these agreements that clients don't even know that they've signed. Sometimes developers say, you know, well, you know, I, 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 I think I had this agreement with my employer. And, and I say, well, do you have your employment agreement? Do you have an NDA? Do, was there a non-compete? And the answer is sometimes, boy, I don't know. Let me take a look at the stack of papers that I have. And the answer has been invariably yes. And that developer often did not know what it was that they had agreed to. Sometimes that works out okay, but sometimes it doesn't. So I kind of lumped employment agreements and NDAs together. Um, for this talk, um, and and it's in part because there's a confidentiality component often for both of them, but um, but there's there's more than that. When um, in both employment agreements and NDAs, often only one side has a lawyer. Um, so a lot of the times when people are coming to me with those employment agreements after the fact or the NDAs after the fact, they signed it and they weren't not represented. Um, I think when you are negotiating with a company about, um, working for them, you're not gonna say, well, actually, I'm thinking about working for you and you're gonna pay me X amount per hour, but I'm just gonna go and spend, you know, more than that per hour to hire a lawyer. Um, it's just not very practical. So there's this opportunity where companies have, you know, where it's, it, it it can be a little exploitative because there's one represented party and one party that's not. Um, so, so think about this. The, the other thing that is, really common is that I think people don't understand that almost, that all agreements basically are negotiable. So when you're you're given an agreement, if you don't like what it says, and often these agreements say really stupid things. They say things that don't make any sense at all. They may say things that their lawyer put in that the manager has no, or the person doing the hiring has no idea that those agreements say. Um and 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 it's fun to be the one to point those things out because I I don't think you mean what you put in this agreement. And that usually kind of opens up the whole field of discussion on every single point when uh you know when when they don't when there's something that's not even in their interest in the agreement. Um but um but basically all these agreements are negotiable. I have never ever ever been given an agreement for review that I've gone back to the company that drafted the agreement and, and then I've gone back with comments and had that company say, oh, you know, this is a take it or leave it document. Either you sign it um, and you want to work for us or, you know, or that's it. And I think that um, almost everybody who gave me those documents to review really didn't want me to make any comments. They, you know, they sort of give it to me and they say, you know, let me know if there are any problems here. I really hope there are no problems. And I say, well, actually, there are these, you know, two or three things that could be written better or I think aren't really in your interest in the long term, they say, oh, I don't want to bring them up because I don't want to screw up my chances for, you know, I don't want to screw up this new job that I'm starting. But after a discussion, I say, well, you know, sometimes if you say my lawyer had some comments and why don't you talk to her about it? But I'm totally reasonable. So whatever she says, come to me afterwards, you know. Uh, and that way, you know, they, people can blame me. They like to blame lawyers. It's good. It, it works out nicely. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so, um, but I've never had that circumstance where I've come with comments and, and there's been no movement. They don't always take everything that I suggest, but... They'll, they'll move the agreement. They'll move the, the language in some way that makes it reasonable, that makes it livable. And, and I think that, um, that that's a really important thing to understand. So if somebody gives you an agreement, it, 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 I have never encountered it being all or nothing. Um, both, of these, um, both of these agreements are, are the kind of thing where, um, where you have to really expect the worst. And it's tough. Because when you start working with somebody, when you're establishing embarking on a new relationship with them, you're really excited about it, you think it's going to be positive or you wouldn't even be talking to them to begin with. You just wouldn't engage with somebody that you didn't want to work with or um, you know if you if you didn't want to take their money if you didn't want to work on their project, it just you wouldn't so so it's kind of a little counterintuitive because you have to think about all the horrible things that could happen in a year or two years or ten years or or whatever. Um, I'm actually a, a real optimist by nature um, just. Intrinsically, I'm. I'm. I always expect the best of people, and I s- expect the best of situations. But I am a trained pessimist now, from being a lawyer. <laughs> um, Richard Fontana has raised his eyebrows. But I think you have to be as a lawyer, and I think as a signer, you have to become a pessimist. You have to think, what is the worst thing that the person that I am signing this agreement with could do, and am I protected if they do that? Am I actually you know, am I agreeing to something that would 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 put me in a situation that I wouldn't want to be in? And if you spell out that situation to the person that you're negotiating with, you know, you usually say, I know you're not going to do this. Therefore, <laughs> I know you're not going to do this. But if you wanted to, you could do this horrible thing. I know you're not going to do it. So why don't we just put in some language that protects against it? And usually they sort of say, oh, okay, you know. No, we would never do that, you know. Um, so it, it's useful. Um, and then the other thing um, that they have in common is that both can prevent you from contributing to free and open source software. So it's really important that we we um, we focus on these agreements. So um, as I was saying before, with employment agreements, you, you know, and with NDAs, you only get one chance to get it right. But with employment agreements, it feels particularly that this is the case. You know, when people are trying to recruit you, or they want you to work on their their project or for their company, they're um, they're much more likely to give you what you want. Um, it's so much easier to talk about any of these issues before you start working than it is to do it after. Um, and when you get the agreement, you have to really think about all of your sort of overall priorities. Your, you know, I know that. You know, you're going to worry about how much money they're paying you. You're going to worry about what it is that the work is. You're going to worry about uh, if it's a full-time job, about whether you're getting vacation and all that stuff. But um, but think about also, you know, all the other factors that are involved, and 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 really, you know, put put equal focus on on each component of the agreement, including things like you know non-competes and, and things like that. Um, one thing that I think people often forget to do is to um, is to get reviews of all kinds of like ancillary documents um, in advance of signing the employment agreement and people sort of think oh okay well you know the company knows what they're doing if they've given me a package of materials to sign once I sign it i'm good like i won't have to deal with any of these legal issues ever again um, you know it's sorted no problem but um, if you don't sort of bring to the attention any kinds of agreements that you know or documents that you know are likely to come up you are going to have to deal with them later only there will be no agreement, and you'll sort of be under the gun. So um, you know it's tough. Things like um, if you know you're contributing to uh, to certain free software projects in the context of the employment, you know you want to make sure that a company understands that they may have to sign a contributor license agreement, and that they may have to sign it on their own behalf, or they may have to acknowledge that you you are contributing to this project, um, you know, in your in your own capacity. But getting actually the the documents in front of the legal department. Of you know of your new employer is is essential, and to do it before you sign the employment agreement. I keep saying it over and over again, but it's so important. Uh, b- before you sign the agreement is 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 really key. Um, and the things that you want to be sure that everybody is clear on um, may seem obvious, but I've just seen it so many times where it 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 it, it wasn't clear. Um, so licensing of software. Uh, a lot of companies are using free and open source software as recruiting uh, techniques they 'll say, "If you come work for us, we work on loads of open source stuff you know you 're going to work on really cool things, and um, you know if you if you come work with us, you 'll have all these great challenges, and they'll all be published. But then when you go to work for the company, you may have you know a, a mix of software that you 're writing, or the software that you thought was going to be released, there could be a, a a change in management or a change of a business decision. Um, if you're promised things like the code that you write will be released, make sure it's in writing. Make sure it's in the agreement. If they really mean it when they sell it to you as part of your recruitment, they'll have no problem putting it in the contract. Um, if they say, well, I don't want to have to pay my lawyer to revise the agreement to do it, just say, well, you know, I'll write out the sentence for you. And I, I think it's pretty easy if, you know, I don't have a lawyer if you don't have a lawyer. Um, you know, I don't I don't see that this is a real problem. We can add it in. We can just write it separately as a side agreement. And there are all kinds of ways that you can do that. Um, who owns the copyrights is important. Um, you know, if you work for a company um, and there's no prior agreement about who owns the software, that you're writing or who you know who will in the copyrights chances are it will be the company but a lot of companies allow their um their employees to keep copyright in the code there are certain software projects that require that submissions be by individuals and not by companies and um you know there are and, and, and even in consulting situations um you know it may be unclear who 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 will hold the copyrights it's so much better to get this out of the way as a discussion before the uh, employment agreement or consulting um relationship is underway um, so definitely get that um, sorted at the beginning um, what is in the scope of employment and this one comes up a lot <laughs> um, because a lot of times free software developers are hired to work on the software that they've already been working on so sort of like you know you you want these companies want to hire you because you've been working on this code for a while and it is it's your thing and um, and they they want to benefit from that and have you develop uh, features for them but then they um, it can be quite murky what you know what is a continuation of your previous work and what is work for the the company that the, that they own all the rights to um, and this can become really really difficult when you start talking about things like patents and and and, and even as it applies to work that you have done before so um, things like that um, what constitutes working you know work done you know in the context of the job, is it, you know, um, I often see in agreements uh, provisions that say, you know, work done outside, you know, regular business hours or work done outside of company equipment is clearly not um, not work done in the scope of your employment and is outside of of, of that is not, if it's a consulting agreement, not work for hire. Um, it's, it's really good to get that underway, especially if there are projects that you know you're already working on. Um, Exclusivity arrangements, I actually have had people come to me not realizing that they had provisions in their agreement that told them that they couldn't work for anybody else at the same time um, and were surprised when the companies that they had signed these agreements for got upset when they were doing other consulting work for other companies. Um, take a look at that. Um, and also, uh, status of pre-existing code. Some employment agreements actually... Ask you to um, assign or um, or irrevocably license your code to them that you wrote before your employment, um, or any patents and inventions that you've um, you've had beforehand. So you want to really make sure that um, that you know what that is, and also whether that terminates ever. So if you've done something before your employment, after your employment, you may not have the rights that you had before you worked for them. Um, another good area to be on the lookout for is. Uh, in public communications. So I think a lot of people take jobs thinking, well, you know, I have a blog, I have a personal blog or I I, I contribute to certain websites and um and of course I would be able to do that um, regardless of what employer I work for. It's my free time or um or you know I may do it at work but um you know but it's not related to my workplace. But actually some employers Have this in their employment agreements too, or in their um, sort of their startup materials and policies. If you do expect and want to blog about really um, anything in advance, talk talk about it. Um, You know, make sure that that's agreed, so that you can continue to write about the things that you want to write about. Um, I would argue that there's a really strong case for you know if you're if you're blogging outside of the school. I mean. If you're blogging outside the scope of your employment, there's a limit to how much the um your company can have say over that. But our lives are so intermixed in the free and open source software world um, with our personal lives and our um and our professional ones that um that it's often hard to draw that line as to where, you know, what what is in within the scope of your employment and what is outside of your scope of employment. And the only way to be certain about it is to clear it in advance and to get it in writing. Ah, we lawyers, we just want everything in writing, everything in advance. I know it's not easy, but, um, but oftentimes all you have to do is ask, and then you never have to worry about it again. If you don't, if you don't even bring up the topic, then you just, you just lose that opportunity from the get-go. Um, similarly, there's confidential information, and, um, we'll talk about that in the context of NDAs. Um, and it, it, it's a good idea to understand what the corporate process is for public statements. We were just talking about this earlier because um, we, we, within the context of an hour wandering uh, over lunch and wandering the hallways, um, like an hour before this talk, um, I heard three different anecdotes of, um, of public statements being shut down by employers. Um, you know, interviews on podcasts that weren't released. Or, um, or or blog posts that, that couldn't be made or, um, or just review processes that the employee didn't know before they had joined the company. And maybe it's because I'm a lawyer that people bring these things up around me, but it, it, it really is very common. Um, so if you're looking at your agreement, these are sort of the important things to, um, to pay attention to. Um, obviously, you want to read any confidential information provisions really, really closely. Um, it's tough... Because it looks like a lot of this stuff is legal boilerplate, but you don't need to be a lawyer to understand uh, legalese. Um, it's tough, but uh, but take a look at it. I mean, the same way that I would say that it's it's great to read the the free software licenses too. Um, you know, it's it's good to read your contracts as well. Um, pretty much, you can you can tell if there's going to be an issue. Um, So, you know, at least taking a look at it, even if you don't understand what everything means, you might be able to issue SPOT. Um, If you really don't understand what it means, then it is a good idea to get legal counsel. Um, A lot of employment agreements have inventions or patent sections um, in their agreements. Um, And I've seen that in terms of lists. So sort of like asking you to list any inventions or patents that you've held or may have held in the past and making a, a representation about what those may be. Um, another is, um, is, is asking the new employee to, um, to actually grant a patent license that's irrevocable with no end, um, to their employers, um, which you may want to do, um, but you may not, so it's good to think about, um, and, um, there are a whole host of other representations that can sneak in, in, uh, in these patent sections, um, and, uh, I've, I've actually... Never seen, a, and they, they may exist, but I've never actually seen um, one of these sections that expired um, ever. Um, so even if you leave employment with that employer, you uh, the, the the licenses still remain, um, if that's what it says, and it usually does. <laughs> um, and I would look really closely at non-compete um, provisions. They're also called them exclusivity provisions, or um, sometimes conflicting employment provisions um it's it's uh It's just good to look at these things before you engage in employment and and talk about them if you had any different understanding um, to give you some help if you um, if you go take a look at your agreements and you find that you don't like what they say or you're not sure about it, one thing that I use a lot is to say to buy knowledge so if you when you read your the agreement that you're going to that you're being asked to sign, take a look at it and see if. Um, if there's anything that you're representing that you may not know, you know, um, there's a, 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 a sort of a, a shift of the, the burden to, um, to the person who made the representation. If you don't say anything like a knowledge qualifier, you know, the best of my knowledge or to my knowledge or anything like that, you're basically just saying that, um, that, that, that whatever you're representing is the case. And if it turns out not to be the case, then it's, it's your fault. If you say to my knowledge, then you're only on the hook if you actually knew about it. Except in relation to—that's a good one. So basically, if you're, um, you know, if, if you've got an employment agreement and you say, "Well, this can't be true because," you know, there are these other situations that um, aren't covered by this. Just throw in a um, "except in relation to this software I'm working on" or "except in relation to this other situation that," you know, we talked about. Um, I also say "except as otherwise disclosed," um, which is a, a good one too. Um, with prior notice is great because if there's anything that um, that you feel uneasy about, but you're sort of like, well, I kind of understand why the company wants to do that, but I I, I feel like I would want to know what the circumstances are, and I feel like it would be unusual, and I want to have some recourse. If you throw in with prior notice, then they have to tell you before they do it. So it means that even though they can still do it, you have the opportunity to escalate it in company management and say, "Well, actually, this isn't this wasn't my understanding, or I actually don't think this is a good idea." And the only way that you'll even know that they're going to do it is if they agree that they'll have pri- they'll they'll give you prior notice before doing it. Those are all kind of like just little standard legal phrases that are fun to stick in there. Um, so moving over to NDAs, um, NDAs are non-disclosure agreements. They're confidentiality agreements and then it cracks me up that people call them the Silicon Valley handshake because they're they're so popular that um, and people just use them every time they think about doing business that it's as common as a handshake. Um, Jeremy made me put this slide in. Oh is that true? I've never heard of that. Google does graphics used to do that. So the caught up you don't get bad, you don't get wow. Boy. Now, I, I bet there are people that do. I bet there are people that say, actually, I don't want to sign this agreement. I know you wanted to have a meeting because, you know, there was something you wanted to talk to me about. I don't want to talk under those terms, but I'd love to talk to you. Like, let's talk about this. Can we rearrange, you know, can we revise the agreement? What is it, you know, what is it that you're worried about? Can we make this more specific? I think a, a, a blanket agreement at the door is, is really tough. I, I, know I, I personally would walk out. I mean, I, I, it would probably depend on what the circumstance, I'm a lawyer, so, you know, it always depends. But, um, but it would depend on the circumstances. But, you know, what is it that's so valuable? to you that you would just sign all of that away without even negotiating it. It's it's it seems very unreasonable to ask. Whoever has invited you there for that meeting wants to talk to you. Um, the other well the other thing that I, I often do and I'll have it later in the slide is is sometimes make it mutual. So I'll I'll say well, okay, if you want me to sign this, then I really want you to sign the same thing. So let's let's put it in reverse and have you sign because you may get if you want me to just sign an agreement for coming to talk to you, then you should also sign that for talking to me. And it kind of like, if, if they're not willing to sign that, then you say, well, look, you know, if you're not willing to protect my confidential information, why shouldn't I, why should I be willing to protect yours? Um, and there are friendly ways of doing this. This isn't as adversarial as it sounds. It can be really friendly. A lot of people are frustrated by the legal, um, by a lot of the legal procedures that their, um, their legal departments put in place. So you can always, um, when all else fails, bond over hating lawyers. It's the way to go. <laughs> um, so I would I would give you examples and case studies, but I've agreed not to. Um, but Jeremy could give you a case study. Yeah, you could tell. Them about. Oh yeah. So so earlier today, Jeremy gave me an example of, um, of of that that he he experienced, and we were talking before about everything being negotiable, um, and also sort of the idea that you can. Um, um, that you can ask for changes. Um, when he was at SGI, yeah, I was joining SGI. He was joining SGI, and they gave him a, um, a, a, a an agreement to sign, and it had some things in it that um, that he didn't agree to. So what he did was he just marked the whole thing up and gave it back to them. And they said, "Oh, okay, we'll send it to our legal department to review." And then I think by the time he had left um, there, no one had gotten back to him about it. <laughs> So you know the the, the delay often is, is is what you need. I mean I've I've I have also commented on em, employment agreements for others, um, and and never had any any comment back. Um, then there's like a a, a clear um, understanding that the terms were not accepted and the faulty provisions have been pointed out. The ways in which it, the whole you know relationship was unacceptable were spelled out, and I don't think that there would would be a court of law that would in, enforce that under those circumstances. So when if, if you if you do feel like you have to sign an NDA. You want to really make sure that they're specific. So the way that most of them are written are super, super broadly. They'll basically say everything under the sun is covered by our confidentiality provision. Anything you learn from us of any kind on anything, you can't use for any purpose at any time. And, you know, it's it's just not tenable. It's so broad. Who knows what it applies to? It could apply to anything. It could apply, you know, it could apply to all kinds of work that, you know, you were going to do completely separate from this company. It could apply to, um, you know, any, a- a- anything. It's, it's just, never sign anything like that. There are some jurisdictions where they wouldn't enforce that anyway, um, but you, you, you shouldn't rely on it, and, and, and anyone who wants you to sign an NDA should be specific about what it is that they're worried about. Um, and they should be able to talk about at least, you know, a project in some way, you know, just sort of a project relating to this area. Um, for a definite period. Um, so most of the NDAs that I have seen have not had a an expiration date, um, but I have never had it um, had an experience where we couldn't put in some time period. I always try to put, you know, three months, six months. Usually, that's there's real pushback, and they're more willing to accept, you know, two years. But at least there's some end to the time when you have to keep that that information confidential. Um, look for the requirements to be reasonable. Um, sometimes these NDAs have things like, you know, after you talk to us, you will delete every copy of every scrap we have ever given to you, including the badge that we gave you to get in here, or, um, or the, you know, if you read it quite literally, the stickers that you took, the promotional stickers you took from us, or, um, or, you know, you'll have to go onto your remote email servers and get them to represent that they have, um, you know, deleted any copies of emails from their backup servers. It's just not reasonable. So um, those are good things to point out when there's a faulty NDA. Always think about, is an NDA truly necessary? You know, you're embarking on a relationship with somebody because there's probably some mutually beneficial relationship. There's probably some inherent trust. There is your reputation. There is their reputation. There's a whole host of reasons why you may not even need an NDA at all. People are so used to serving up these NDAs just as a matter of course that they often just don't even think about it. They don't think, well, is this necessary or not? They say, oh, I'm talking to somebody outside of my company for whatever reason. It doesn't matter what it is, so I have to get an NDA signed. But that's just not true. And sometimes if you point that out and you have a discussion of, well, you know, what are you afraid I'm going to do? Are you afraid I'm going to, you know, talk to the press about your new idea? Or are you afraid that I'm going to make my own implementation of what it is that you're doing? And having that conversation really helps decide whether you even need to sign this NDA or not. Um, code can be disclosure. So sometimes, if you talk about things, particularly patents or, um, or 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 really almost anything at all, if if you wind up implementing code that relates to what you've talked about, if you signed a broad NDA you might be in violation. If you NDAs, you can have a secretary. you're not allowed to use open source software and you're not allowed to write open source software, but the company is hiring you to do exactly this. <coughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's. they're often crazy. Those are in, in, empl- in, in employee agreements in particular. No, no. Now NDAs, oh, NDA? I'm a consultant, so I get a lot of NDAs <coughs> on my desk, and I know at least five... Largest semiconductor companies. We have this um, a paragraph inside where we are forbidden even to look at open source software, uh, and disclosure of open source software is uh, uh, causing death penalty. Of course. <laughs> yeah, and actually. Hiring you as a consultant. To yeah. They are drivers. They are supported in the Linux kernel, so that's. I did. I did look at a, um, at a, um, at an agreement that an intern was asked to sign at a company that shall remain nameless. And, um, and it, it basically made that intern represent that they, you know, that they would not, um, that they would not release any of their, um, any of the code that they developed, um, to the public in any way. And they had been hired to work on a summer of code project. (laughs) So, um, Bradley wanted me to point out earlier that, um, that NDAs can be GPL incompatible, um, but I think it's pretty evident that if you're asked not to disclose information, it can be it can prevent you from releasing any code under any free software license. Uh, but um, but the GPL can exp- you know explicitly prevent you from um, from, from, from obeying both. You can't. You, there are circumstances where you can obey both the uh, the GPL and an an NDA. Well, it depends how the employment agreement is written. Like, I, a lot of employment agreements don't ask you to say what you've written before and don't put any provisions in it for continuing to be able to work on code that you've written before. And so it's, it's completely absurd. But once you've, you know, once you've released it, somebody else can, may have the right to work on your own code, and you wouldn't. But they always have provisions, for what other agreements can be signed? Yeah, yeah, no. There sometimes do have have like conflicting agreements and things like that. Um, but sometimes they sometimes they actually don't. Sometimes they just have like a boilerplate language that they ask you to sign up to. Um, but I mean, I always say that you. I mean, you should always be completely upfront and, and get all this stuff in writing. Um, there are some standard NDA exceptions which a lot of lawyers deliberately leave out of their drafts, but they always will take. So uh, even though. If you get an NDA and it has no exceptions to it, if you were to come back to with, to uh, almost any lawyer with these exceptions, they're usually pretty ready to take them, um, and and they actually make the um, they actually make the NDA a lot more a little bit more palatable. Uh, one is that, and they are really just sensible. <laughs> one is that the um, the information is already publicly known or becomes publicly known, um, and and through no no action of the signer. So you can't sort of say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to leak it to the public. And then it became publicly known, so I'm out of the NDA. Um, if it was rightly developed by you before you entered the NDA, and this is super important if you're just signing those NDAs at the door um, to talk about a project that you may or may not work with the company on. Um, you know, it's it's really important to have this because you may have already been talking, have conversations about similar ideas with other companies. A lot of this stuff is, you know, a lot of the ideas that companies are trying to protect aren't necessarily that new or novel. Uh, they just want to make sure that they shut down anybody else that they talk to from doing it. So make sure that it has that in there, saying that if you've independently developed it, that it's not covered by the NDA. Um, or if it was rightfully known by you before, if somebody tells you something you already knew, that shouldn't be covered either. Um and then there's another exception that uh, is good to 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 include which is that um disclose, if it was disclosed to you by somebody else who wasn't covered by confidentiality then you shouldn't be covered by confidential, confidentiality either. So if they went ahead and told somebody else but didn't make them sign an NDA and they told you, then, you know, they you, you heard from it in a in a in a way that um, that was not bound by the agreement that you signed. Um and then this one gets modified a lot and gone back and forth between lawyers. But um, if it's required by the government, some people will only take. Um, you know, it, it, it's no longer confidential. If it, you're allowed to disclose it, if, if if you're compelled by a court order, some people will allow. You know, any government agency. I always try to throw everything in there. If any government agency of any kind asks me to produce it, I I I'll produce it. Um, the, it it's it's sort of good to think about that. Sometimes they they ask you to put in a um, a provision that says, well, you know you'll notify us if a government agency asks you to give them this information, that before you do, you will let us know and give us the opportunity to fight it. But um, it's good to put that in there because you don't want to be in a situation where some governmental agency asks you, you know, can I, can I have a copy of that, you know, of that source code you developed or, or that, that document somewhere and for you to say, well, you know, I, I can't because I'm bound by this confidentiality agreement. Think long term. Don't think about, you know, try to move beyond thinking about how great this job will be in the short term, and think about all the other jobs that you want to work on in the context of the next 10 years. Will this prevent you from doing something you want to do? Um, Don't rely on verbal assurances. If people tell you something in the context of your negotiation with them, in the context of your agreement, they should be able to put it in writing. Like just you know you shouldn't you shouldn't just take a you know a ride in the elevator where they say well I mean you have to sign this NDA but we'll never enforce it you know or it doesn't apply to source code say great um, can we just write that in and if they balk at that find out why never hurts to ask and um, you'll probably find something out keep track of all agreements so if you've signed these agreements make sure you remember that you have done and and keep them all in one place it's so useful um, and actually this has always worked in my clients benefit when they've kept the agreement so there have been a couple of times where the company has claimed that what they signed was much broader than it it was um, and in several circumstances my clients had actually managed to have their projects written in or some other um, mitigating language in there against the confidentiality provision and while it took them a really long time to find the agreements if they had once they had them it was a, a huge help so keeping them to hand understanding what you've agreed to and keeping track of it is really important as i said before make it mutual if somebody's asking you to sign something that um that seems over broad ask them to sign it too if you feel like you can't get them to um to change it that usually is a is a really good test um it's sort of like why would i sign something that you won't sign very compelling negotiating strategy. Um, Take your time and ask around. If a company is pressuring you to sign something quickly, take a deep breath, take a step back, and say, I need a day or two to think about it. If you can, ask other developers, ask your friends, find out if other people have had those same provisions imposed on them. Um, Sometimes you'll find that the answer is, oh, I actually um, expressed some discomfort with it, and so they gave me a different provision. It's really good to know about these things. Never just Sign right when they give you the agreement. Always say, oh, I want to take some time to read it. The you know, I, I'm not aware of any circumstance where someone I know has done that and they've gone back and said, no, you either have to sign it today or the whole deal is off. We're not going to hire you. We're never going to work together. People understand that legal documents need to be digested, that they need to be thought about. And they understand that they have a lawyer and you should have the right to ask for one, too, if you need one. The other thing is you can always... Simply write down your understanding. If you don't, if you don't have access to a lawyer and you don't feel comfortable about what the agreements that they've asked you to sign say, write down what you think the agreement is in writing. Even put on it, say, you know, uh, the agreement is a lot to digest. I don't have a lawyer. I think this is our agreement. Can you confirm? And, um, and chances are, if it's not the agreement, they won't, they won't sign it. They won't agree to it. They won't confirm it. And that'll bring a lot of things to light. Make sure it's in writing. Make sure it's really clear. And just just write down what you understand. And when in doubt, get a lawyer. Um, we're a Software Freedom Law Center, so we're generally available um, for the nonprofit side of free and open source software. But that means that even if you're working in a for profit capacity, even if you're working in a commercial way, and um, you know, you are often participating in a free and open source software project. So SFLC can sometimes get involved on behalf of of the free software project. So I've had circumstances where I've helped developers negotiate their employment contracts even though I wasn't representing them, I was representing the um, the project that they were contributing to. So there are ways to get lawyers involved if you need to. Um, it may be worth actually hiring your own lawyer if you find that the um, you know that the documents are, are very detailed. Question: I would probably send... it's... so You can, there, there's a whole area of law on electronic signatures and what makes a, a a document binding. And it's a little bit different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Most jurisdictions, um, count electronic writings as writings, um, and as, and, and as as binding agreements. Um, I would err towards, um, imposing as many formalities as you can. So I would err towards an email where it's all set out than a chat log. If a chat log is the best way to get confirmation of whatever it is that, you know, if, if if basically your main mode of communication with the person you're negotiating with is by IRC, I would then cut and paste the chat, send it an email and say, this is what we agreed to today. So generally speaking email is possible, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not as good as a, you know, as a formal contract, you know, it's all these like, but it, it, it is an understanding between parties. Emails can be produced as evidence in, you know, in court, um, so uh, that's what I would... Oh, two minutes. I thought you were asking a question, Bradley. He knows everything there is to know about NDAs. He just won't sign them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been meaning to write a white paper about employment agreements for the last five years that I've been at the super Freedom Law Center. Um, I think it's really important. The problem is, is that I think most big companies are really happy with their own forms of agreement, um, and they all vary. So I actually started doing this in preparation for this talk. I started going through the, the directory of... Um, of agreements that I've looked at and sort of evaluated, I, I want what I really wanted to do is to come to you with like some standard language that is kind of foolproof and you can add to any um, to any contract. But unfortunately, because they're all slightly different and all of the provisions work together, um, it's not as easy to do. On the other hand, there are a few things that you want to make sure that every agreement has. So I don't think it's a it's an insurmountable task, and I, I'd like to do it. It's it's just not as easy as it may look on first blush. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we—it's a good idea, and I'd love to come up with some standard, maybe even just specific provisions, like about um, about confidentiality, with exceptions for free and open source software development and things like that. That can be used. It's a good idea. We should um, we should talk about it. Actually, it's a really good idea to have some back and forth on whatever. I I, I think at SFLC sometimes we um, we will put white papers and just throw them out there, uh, but actually having some back and forth with with folks like you might be really helpful. Free as in Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of halfbakedmedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Free as in Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to oddcast at faif.us.